subject of creation, God began everything with the words, let there be light. And then I want to go back and tell Tamar, seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. Do you know Tamar, the original Tamar? Did you know that she is one of the lives that begins the story of Jesus? In Matthew 1, 1 through 6, the ultimate lineage that tells the people of God that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, not only by God's Spirit, but by the history of God's people, the story begins this way. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Aram, and Aram, the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Solomon, and Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. These names and their story are that much more astounding when we go back and hear this. The word of the Lord from Genesis 38. In course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah's time of mourning was over, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers, he and his friend Herah the Adulamite. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she put off her widow's garments, put on a veil, wrapped herself up, and sat down at the entrance to Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. She knew that Shalah was grown up, but she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He went over to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that you may come to me? He answered, I will send you a kid from the flock. And she said, Only if you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, What pledge shall I give you? And she replied, Your signet and your cord and the staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went to her, and she conceived by him. Then she got up and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah 
sent the kid by his friend the Adulamite to recover the pledge from the woman, he could not find her. He asked the townspeople, where is the temple prostitute who was at Enaim by the wayside? But they said, no prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I couldn't find her. And the townspeople said, no prostitute has been here. Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own, otherwise we will be laughed at. You see, I sent this kid, you couldn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar has played the prostitute. Moreover, she is pregnant as a result of whoredom. And Judah said, bring her out, let her be burned. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law. It was the owner of these who got me pregnant. And she said, take note, please, whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah acknowledged them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shalah. And he did not lie with her again. When the time of her delivery came, there were twins in her womb. While she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and bound on his hand a crimson thread, saying, this one came out first, but just then... He drew back his hand, and out came his brother. And she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, he was named Perez, breach. Afterwards, his brother came out, the crimson thread on his hand, and he was named Zerah. Is this story about Tamar? Is this story about Judah? Is it about the people of God? Israel, could it be about us? And that was just the introduction. Let us pray. Dear God, these stories from our past, these stories of those who have gone before us, we pray that you continue to speak them into our lives, to redeem us, to continue to draw us nearer to you through Jesus, in whose name we come to you today, in the mighty name of Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the Prince of Peace, amen. Jesus is Lord. Let us be the grace and peace of Jesus. May the Lord equip us to do the grace and peace of Jesus. May the Lord help us to say the grace and peace of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. In Revelation 5.5, right in the middle of what appears to be some sort of worship event in heaven, they're around the throne of God and Jesus is referred to as the Lion of Judah. It's a reference. 
It's a throwback to the ending of Genesis when Judah is called the child of a lion. But Judah's story has some shadows. This is a story that needs light in a world of darkness. This is a story that reminds us of God's first word, let there be light. Tamar is someone who speaks and acts. Unlike the tragedy of Dinah back in Genesis 34, Tamar becomes an unlikely hero whose story will continue through the ages all the way up to David and thus Jesus. So what is Tamar's story doing? Right in the middle of the story of Joseph. I mean, if you read the end of Genesis 37 and the beginning of of Genesis 39, they kind of just pieced right together all about Joseph and Potiphar and all this language, but right sandwiched in between is the story of Tamar. So what is, what is Tamar's story doing here? Could this be a foreshadowing of the very repentance God calls the entire people of God to, that they need to repent once they find themselves in Egypt, longing for the promised land? Genesis 38, Tamar is trapped in the middle of a law that marries her to her brothers-in-law. You know why she's waiting around thinking, I'm not going to get married to this guy? Because he was the third, the third brother in line, and he was supposed to be the one that she was married to because of all these laws. But Tamar realizes that she's not going to be married to Judah's third son, which means that she is unable to marry anyone because she is bound to her brother-in-law and she is trapped. So Tamar takes a great risk of extreme bravery since legally she knows that she is to be put to death for her adultery. This is a story of strange redemption for the whole rest of the journey, even our own. The text of Genesis 38 just presents the bare facts without moral judgment. Did you notice that? It doesn't make any kind of judgment calls on anything that's going on. It just says, this happened, this happened, this happened. And somehow, by the end of the story, there is a call that happens. Somehow by the end of the story, Tamar ends up being called by Judah more righteous than I. Do you know the word resolute? It means admirably purposeful, determined, unwavering. Those are great words to define a great word. Tamar strikes me as someone who is resolute, but it is, it's Judah who takes center stage as the one who repents. I read somewhere that Judah is the first person in Scripture to admit that he is wrong. Judah 
Judah, as a result of Tamar's actions, sets a tone of repentance that leads us up to this very day. Only through a lens of second innocence, of second naivete, can we read Tamar's story as a story of hope, a story of bravery for what God can make out of a story you probably wouldn't bring up at a dinner party. In the midst of goats and pledges, Judah realizes that he's done wrong. Not only because of his adultery, but because of his original action of treating Tamar as though she were disposable, cast aside, easily forgotten. Tamar is one of the only people in Genesis who somehow is able to see the big picture. And she is at the end of her rope. All the while, God is at work redeeming people in these sordid tales which should give us hope. Does this remind you of another story of another man who realizes the weight of his own sin and the story of a little lamb? Have you ever read the story of David's sin and the way that he was confronted with his sin in 2 Samuel 12? And then have you ever read the story where we as the readers are supposed to start making connections after we read that one and keep reading into 2 Samuel 13? And I have to read just one verse, word for word, or you'll never believe me. Some time passed, David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And David's son Amnon fell in love with her. As Jonathan Sachs puts it about our original unlikely heroine back in Genesis 38, Tamar, a childless widow, unable to remarry, was a person without position or power. Tamar took her sense of shame and used it to sensitize herself to avoid shaming others. In this sordid tale, Tamar breaks a cycle of shame and the story ends in repentance. This is yet again Genesis as the law, not through lists, but through people, our stories. This is as sordid a tale as you're going to find in Scripture. But it is not a story that ends in shame. It ends in repentance and righteousness. It is a story that finds its full telling once we get all the way through all the other stories right up to the life of Jesus. Tamar must have known that her own actions would lead to her own death or the redemption and correction of Judah and the whole situation. But this is not so much about glorifying Tamar as it is a way of seeing ourselves in these kinds of situations where God makes all things new 
even in the midst of our own imperfections. The fact that Jesus is called the Lion of Judah, given what we know about Judah, or for that matter, the Son of David, given what we know about David, is proof positive that Jesus was born into a world that was old and tired. A world that he came to make new and filled with abundant life. Do you ever feel old and tired? Take heart. Jesus is making all things new. And Jesus offers us abundant life. If the creator of us all can actually speak life and light into existence, and if the creator of us all can take the story of Judah and Tamar and move it forward to David and eventually to Jesus, then there is redemption open for all of us today. Do you think that's a message that our world needs to hear today? Is it a message that you need to hear today? When I was writing this sermon, I meant to write sexual immorality as I was just typing, period. But it came out textual immorality. I don't know what to make of that. But I do know that in the story of Judah and Tamar, and all of those around them, even us, this story does not end in shame. Sexual immorality has been an ongoing struggle since the beginning of time. People have been victims of sexual immorality since the beginning Today, pornography is everywhere. You cannot get away from it. It is at your fingertips. And quite frankly, it takes some accountability. And many people carry around a lot of shame as a result of so many things available to us today. But just like Judah and Tamar yesterday, none of our stories have to end in shame. Because of the eventual life of Jesus that rounds out our story, we today have the opportunity to not finish the race in shame, but in righteousness and in repentance. The story of Judah and Tamar does not end in shame. It ends in righteousness and in repentance. Which is a reminder that God can take anything and remind us that a new creation is on its way. And that includes our community of faith, of abundant life here today in this very room. In the original words 
of our almighty creator. Let there be light.